this week on the Back Table Podcast. And you hit on one thing. So I was going to say, you know, it was the gatekeepers, right? So it's identifying who they are. And, and just to reiterate that the gatekeepers can be different from day to day. They'll change and evolve. And that's where obviously you just don't want to burn bridges or create a negative impression with anyone or, or as least people as you can, just because you don't know who you may be working with in the future, who may be promoted and, and become a gatekeeper. Uh, as well as I think physicians really listen to their staff. And so, you know, we could be best friends, but you know, if, if you're tech and I just don't see eye to eye or, you know, they just don't enjoy having me around, then our relationship isn't as important anymore. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. Our listeners asked, and we have answered. We now have CME available. You can get AMA Category 1 CME for listening to Backtable and then filling out a reflection. You can find the CME links on episode pages at backtable.com, or you can also find the CME links in the show notes. It's a small cost for the credit, much less than you would spend on a conference, and it helps support the show. Powered by CMEFI, using AI technology to bring the right education to the right place at the right time. You can do this in just a few minutes. If you're already listening to Backtable, might as well get a CME credit for it. Now, on with the episode. This is Aaron Fritz as your host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce my special guest, Aaron Weeks. Aaron, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very excited uh, and appreciative of you uh, allowing me to come on. Yeah. So before you give a little intro, I'm just going to tell a little, our audience a little story about that kind of leads into why we're doing this uh, episode today. It's all about what makes a good sales rep. Aaron, I, rem- I actually remember the first time we met, I was at Allen. I This was back in 2013 when I first started. It was at THR Allen. And I think I was working with Mosier that day and he brought me up to the lab and you happen to be there, you know, dropping something off and he, he introduced us and, you know, we had a brief conversation and I just remember you like being very helpful to everybody in the lab uh, that day. And then I, the next time we met was, um, I had a varicocele embolization out in Decatur. I don't know. Do you remember this? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's Decatur, it's wise regional. So there's really, uh, there wasn't much out there. So I think you had to bring trunks, trunk stock out and it's not much of a lab as you remember. So it was a little bit more challenging of a case and not so routine out there, but you were extremely helpful. And I, and that was remarkable to me. And cause I didn't really have that experience with, uh, reps before. I will bring up just, you brought up uh, Decatur, you were using a standing C arm. And so yes. I think, I don't know if we want to bring that up, but like you said, I think that was testing some of your, uh, not capabilities, but just overall experience. And, you know, I think you had to kind of revert back to your old training as well. So, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, and that was the whole thing about being with TRA early, early on is I was at a new hospital every week and it was really what kind of inspired Backtable really was going to these different locations and everybody has different resources, different devices on the shelf. And that's really when I was thinking about, okay, we need a resource for guys like me out there who are just trying to figure it out, you know, day by day, because it's not like just showing up at Vanderbilt where you have everything at your fingertips, you know? So anyway, that's when you and I kind of hit off as, uh, and and then I, you know, you helped me at a number of different locations, but you kind of became my go-to sales guy with Cook. 
And so with that story, I do, I want to let you introduce yourself, where you started, where you've been, where you're at now. Excellent. Well, I appreciate it again. I am Aaron Weeks. I worked for Cook Medical, the device company. And so I started out with Cook Medical, actually interned uh, during college. And then I was happened to be a product manager. So a little bit more of a unique pathway to the sales field. But I, I was a product manager uh, for five years and then moved into the sales field and, and sales role where we interacted and met. And now I'm uh, a programs manager, kind of business development for the interventional radiology therapy products. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. And for the um, audience who's really, I, you know, the, the titles sometimes are confusing to me even. Product manager is more of like a marketing department role. Is that right? Yeah. So marketing slash product development. So actually I worked on a lot of the, what we call access. So your wires, catheters, sheaths, uh, and kind of just development of, you know, part of your access. So micropuncture, uh, you know, with the cell denor technique and then catheters, wires. So learned on that. Yeah. It's marketing. So kind of the outfacing side of it would be the marketing and branding of that. And then also involved with some of the product development, innovation, and advancement of those specific product lines. Got it. Well, that's cool, man. I didn't realize that you were doing a lot of that before I met you in sales. And then now you're actually a territory manager, right? Actually, just kind of overseeing the, here at our company, we have a variety of different product lines or what we call programs from Venus to Arterial, everything like that. So I kind of oversee the uh, downstream marketing or the customer facing side of sales for interventional radiology type products. So your drains, your liver access with your uh, transjugular liver intervention type products, some of the GI stuff and, and various, what we refer to as kind of old school or long-term interventional radiology products. Right. So do you still cover like embolization coils and stuff like that? Yeah, that's within that family as well. Got it. Got it. Okay. I wanted to kind of jump in, you know, as we talk through this topic, what I did was I reached out to a network of some of our physician hosts to ask them what they would like to know from you about what makes a good sales rep. But some of the common questions were, okay, what is y'all's training? Like, you know, we don't really get a chance to ask you, like, what does that entail when somebody gets hired as a sales rep? How long does it take? And what is that? Is there, are there a lot of ride-alongs? Like, what is that? Can you just give us a quick, what that entails? Certainly. And obviously I'd, I have limited exposure to as far as from company to company. Um, but a lot of it depends or some of the factors come in. Everyone comes in with a variety of exposure, experience, and, and knowledge, awareness on these types of procedures, products, everything, depending on their background. So it really starts a little basic. Uh, what are the disease states? What are the anatomy that will be being dealt with? What are the procedural options? And, you know, there's other options opposed to what we may be focused on. And then going through those procedural details, step-by-step, step, what products are a part of that, and then, you know, the product compatibility. Uh, I think that's a very key important thing. Uh, physicians are oftentimes, that, that's what they look for, the sales rep for, is the compatibility of their products, as well as competitors, and then alternative options to the products, as well as the procedures. After that background, kind of setting the stage, uh, it would move into the sales side of it. So building customer relationships, customer segmentation, and then targeting what customers to really you know, target or, or have as a high priority. And then as you indicated, ride alongs just for that experience, that in-field experience and, and really putting their feet to the fire. And then throughout that, once things are comfortable, uh, oftentimes there's customer handoffs. Uh, so a, a rep that may have been covering that account or that a physician 
will hand that off, whether they were a longtime sales rep for that, or oftentimes they're interim sales reps, kind of covering for an open territory. So, and then, you know, oftentimes there's kind of those more friendly customers that are a little more open. And so that's oftentimes uh, companies or, or managers will kind of interact with those customers and get them to kind of train or carry on with the new rep and, and just let them know what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. And then that takes probably uh, nine months, close to a year. Oh, wow. To really be full into implementation. Now, I'd say they start doing the ride-alongs, you know, four to six months, depending on what the product or the procedures would be. And then following up about 18 months later will be kind of a secondary training or advanced training where they come in, they've got, you know, obviously a year of experience. And so what have they encountered? What questions do they have? And and almost what have they seen that they can implement back into training as well. Yeah. So that's, wow, that's really interesting. I didn't realize the training lasted that long. And I imagine all these companies, especially large companies like Cook, have a whole training program. I mean, you know, it's almost, it's probably like almost like getting a degree, but it is paid training, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the other common questions I got from the docs, because a few of them admittedly were oblivious. They're like, I don't even know how sales reps get paid. Is it like, base salary plus commission, like what are the incentives for you guys? And, you know, obviously during training, it's probably just hourly or, or salary pay, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like once they're released on their own, what are their incentives? Certainly. It will vary company to company, but I think it's pretty universal. Uh, so throughout training, it would be salary. And then depending on the company, once into the field, into that sales force, they are eligible for a bonus or any type of incentivization. And that will vary again, company to company, even program to program. Uh, oftentimes they'll want focused products or focused procedure areas. So to kind of incentivize for that, that will be a focus area or focus product. And that will vary often. Some companies do more of a base salary pay uh, and less of a bonus or incentivization pay. And then others will, you know, have quotas uh, and everything like that, where, you know, that's really incentivized if they're hitting their numbers and, they're more reliant on that incentivization pay or the bonus pay uh, as opposed to a, a larger base salary. I gotcha. And are things like MBAs and you know advanced degrees looked upon favorably for sales specifically or not so much? Uh, I would say it depends. Again, company to company. Often it's obviously shows that one is able to be trained and well-educated, but oftentimes maybe, um, and just speaking from personal opinion, they come in with a little too high of expectations where this is really, you know, a sales on the ground boot works type job. And sometimes an MBA, they're a little bit higher level uh, or thinking a little bit more broad than, you know, what you would think with just a sales position, but a bit maybe overtrained. Yeah, exactly. So any education and, and training is very important and would be crucial and advanced things. But yeah, I would say uh, MBAs, wouldn't necessarily uh, put someone over another if they were going for the same role in a sales position. I gotcha. And, and you know, what I see as a physician, and I'm sure a lot of our audience has seen is, you know, uh, <laughs> a lot of good techs who and nurses who've been around for a while, they get kind of plucked by companies to, to then, you know, and then they show up as your new sales rep, which is remarkable. I think it's great that they have that opportunity. And, I, you know, that position... That occupation is not for everybody, and, and I've had this conversation with a number of techs, uh, you know, who have kind of thought about taking that route, 
But I'm just curious to know, like percentage-wise, like how many of your sales team, how many of them are former nurses and techs? Certainly. I would actually just admit, I think the trend is moving more that direction, as well as the interest level from kind of that clinical side or, or the tech and nurse side. I would say upwards to over half of, of most sales forces uh, have that background. Um, and then it gets into really, you know, personality, interest, uh, motivation on that. And, you know, they're, they're those people, persons, uh, very sociable and interacting with the reps, because a lot of times I think that's their lead into a position like this is being very interactive and knowledgeable with the products, but then also the companies and the sales force that they're interacting with. Yeah. Wow. That's a high percentage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think it depends on the role and the company and everything. I would say if it's a more case support, procedural support type of role, then they would more more apt to look at towards a, a clinical aspect from a tech or a nurse side of things. Got it. And so what qualities, you know, we talked about, you know, having that clinical experience is helpful, but can you maybe touch on what other qualities are you, are you guys looking for when hiring a new sales rep? Certainly. Obviously, an outgoing person, a very personable and social person. I think one uh, key word uh, these days would be emotional intelligence. And so just looking in that, that's defined as self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and then social skills. And so, that, you know, you can't really always quantify that, but I think that all those really factor into someone that will become or, or is very apt to be a, a successful salesperson. And I think that situational awareness is very important. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So no uh, interaction or, or, you know, even case support is the same. So I think you need to always know how to read the room, uh, when to say something, when not, uh, when to even step away, and just kind of know your place in the lab, know your place in, in the customer's atmosphere. So that's where I think, yeah, the emotional intelligence and then situational awareness, I think are very important. And then just really being a, a likable person, a, a people person. Uh, I like to think that's, you know, what's made me somewhat successful as well. But that's somebody, you know, work or not, they're interacting they're uh, starting a conversation with someone at the airport, uh, everything like that. So I think that's a lot of times what you look for is just someone that's very outgoing, personable, and can pretty much talk to anybody. Yeah, we were talking about that situational awareness, how important that is for med students to learn how to kind of do that because you got, yeah, you, I mean, really, you said it correctly, is just read the room. I mean, there's so many times where, and we experience this, where students, trainees, they just don't know how to read the room and it can make for things being unnecessarily awkward, you know? And, and I, yeah, I've experienced that with sales reps too, where they're lingering longer than they should. You know, if the doc doesn't have time that day, why are you hanging out outside the office or outside the reading room? You know, just, uh, we'll, you know, we'll touch base later kind of thing. In your experience, what do you think are some qualities that don't fit well with a sales position? And I think that this has probably evolved over the last five, 10 years, because like you said, people value that, that emotional intelligence and situational awareness now more than they probably used to. But if you could touch on some like personality traits that you think don't work well in a sales position currently. Certainly. So as we discussed with the self-awareness, social skills, very important. Uh, so any lacking of that, and then just really not being able to invest in a longer term sale, as we would like to say, and you're really investing in relationships. And so someone that seems to get frustrated easily, uh, really looking for short term success. Uh, obviously, we want to close sales. We want to do business. 
um, but it's really a, a longer game in my mind. Uh, and so those that are really seeming to just look for short-term success, looking for who will buy from them, right? So they're obviously going to be targeting everything like that, but if the sale isn't happening immediately, um, so it's really tough to kind of identify that in any type of interview process. So that's where I think just asking questions as far as background. And at the end of the day, you know, everyone has a brand. And so I think a lot of times you just get good at reading, you know, how people carry themselves, uh, how they interact with others and what type of brand do they really work to create that then will support that company's brand as well. I think also being a, a good salesperson, good rep, you know, you need to be memorable and kind of have your own brand. Like I was saying, what's going to distinguish you out? And so that's your knowledge, that's your interaction, your rapport. Uh, but then it also can sometimes just be something random. So obviously we both share the same first name uh, and there's been a, a skit out there from Key and Peel uh, that's been pretty popular and, and gotten our name out there, uh, maybe uh, said a little bit differently. So, you know, and I just kind of rolled with that. And in all honesty, a long story short, I hadn't seen the skit um, and I would go into customers and, hey, hey, Ron. And, you know, I'd say, oh, yeah, hi, how's it going? And so I was, I was at this account and, you know, in there and it was a new physician coming in. I, I was familiar with the account, with the staff and everything, but it was a new physician, new IR coming in uh, and I was going to uh, facilitate and help them with a, an embolization case. And so the physician comes in, real interactive, nice. And the staff starts calling him Dr. Balake. And, you know, so I, I kind of think to myself, man, I'm really glad I you know, I didn't say Dr. Blake or anything. Not, I, I learned how to pronounce it right. And so, you know, they, they go through Dr. Balake, Dr. Balake, and, you know, he turns, introduces himself to me and, you know, oh, hey, hey, Ron. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, this and that. And I forget what one of the staff could tell that I did not know what they were referring to. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when time was available, you know, we kind of, they showed me the skit and everything. And that's where I looked up and I said, well, I'm, I appreciate all this because I was about to seriously call you Dr. Balake from, from here on out. So, but I think those are just great <laughs> examples of, you know, what, what makes you memorable and also to have some fun. And so I don't know if you've had many uh, interactions with, with that skit and, and the pronunciation, but. Oh, I took an Uber yesterday and the lady picked me up and she goes, hey, hey, Ron. And from the get go, every time I'm at Starbucks, they love it. A.A. Ron. I mean, it's just, it, yeah, it's everywhere. It's, you know, and I've never been annoyed by it. Like, I just think it's funny. And then you're right. It, it, I hated my name growing up because it was because girls were called Aaron as well. You know, it's, it's spelled differently, E-R-I-N. But I was the only Aaron in my school. And then you had girls named Aaron. And so it was just, you know, I, I, I may have gotten bullied about it or made fun of. But that's why I hated my name growing up. And then, you know, here, here it's something that's, uh, it's, it's fun. Yeah, so exactly. I, and yeah, it, I've, it gets I've them to know it. how to spell it correctly nowadays, right? So at Starbucks, yeah. it's with the A and not an right. E and, and everything like that. <laughs> right, so. that's right. Yeah, you've lived through that but Yeah, too. it's yeah. just a great example, I think, of, you know, some being a memorable and, and just rolling with the punches, right? Not that that was any negative aspect, but, you know, I, it became a, a fun thing and almost prideful to walk in and hear A.A. Ron, right? So you know that they're happy to have you there and, and that, you know, they're having some fun with you, but it's also just that personal, personal aspect of it where it's not just business and, and then they're remembering you and, and really, uh, helping out things. So, yeah, you get kind of informally brought into the fold in that sense. Like if you can have fun with them on that too, you know, whereas if you're like, no, it's a, please call me Aaron from here on out. 
<laughs> they'd be like, all right, see you later, man. Never see you again. So, and then it, when uh, you're not there, everybody knows who they're talking about in the first place. So, right, exactly. Yeah, it's like, hey, we need to call AA Ron for those embolization coils. You know, have you noticed? And you know, we joke about this with with docs and different specialties, but have you noticed different kind of personality fits depending on? the division or the specialty within Cook? Oh, certainly. For example, the aortic side, right? You know, they're really looking for support, their knowledge. That's one where oftentimes that's going to be more of a someone from a lab or, or a clinical background and more serious, I guess. Not that other areas aren't serious, but oftentimes, as we said, with what we are looking for in that situation awareness, you know, uh, procedural rooms are, are a pretty serious setting. And so really knowing what to do in those settings. And so, yeah, I'd say other areas, you know, a lot of factors will come into play with that. And a lot of it is how well can you relate to that customer? And oftentimes it's not just the physicians, you know, all of the uh, lab support, all of the faculty within that, you know, you need to be able to relate to them, get them to know who you are first, but then also want to be, have you there, want to interact with you. And so you know, it's not being whoever or whatever someone wants to be, but being authentic, but finding ways to relate to everyone in the room. You know, I like to say maybe a, a little bit of tangent, but, you know, whether someone likes sports or not, keeping up to date on, you know, how the local sports teams may be doing, just giving you conversation pieces that don't have to do with, you know, maybe the, the procedure, the products, or, or even what you're there to talk to them about, uh, because that just makes you feel like more of a personable and a real person to them. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And and where I've seen sales reps kind of fail to read the room, especially is, um, you know, bringing politics into the lab. It's like, I don't care. I mean, whether you're left or right, I don't really care what you think about our current president or our former president. You need to leave that stuff at home, you know? Like, please don't bring that up during a procedure or even in small talk. It's like, yeah, neutral topics, right? Nothing that's going to be controversial or dividing, right? Um, because everybody, I mean, you, you know, the hospital is, uh, there's a variety of different people that, that work there. And I think we've all learned, especially in recent years, that, you know, when you're focused on patient care, you need to let like other things kind of stay outside the hospital. No, definitely. I, I guess kind of an unwritten rule, no, uh, no politics, no religion, you know, nothing of that aspect. Uh, I guess I would flip it, you know, oftentimes uh, there has been experiences where maybe the physician wants to bring that up and, and you really have to work to navigate that safely and try to diffuse that conversation as quickly as possible without maybe showing your hand or saying any type of misleading comment. So it's definitely a delicate, delicate topic that you try to avoid and, and once in those conversations, steer out of as quickly as possible. Yeah, it could be anybody. It could be nurses, techs, you know, reps, docs. I mean, you're right. It's you kind of just got to shrug it off and, and say, hey, we're focused on, you know, whether you need to say something or not, it just got to let it go, you know? And <laughs> so that all makes sense here. And, and I think that's why I've always thought of you as a good sales rep, because you have that authentic sales style. You're not aggressive. You're a little bit more laid back. And so whether it's a, a high stress case or a low stress case, I always liked having guys like you in the room. For me, it's really, and I was talking to somebody at Argon about this recently, it's all about having somebody who is always helpful. Like they know the product to the T extremely well. So you have any issues with it, they can answer your question right then and there. And they know the the disease process, right? They know the pathology, know the anatomy. 
it's a lot to ask of you guys. I realize that because you're learning by experience with all this stuff. But at the same time, you don't have the medical training that docs have, but yet we do expect you guys to know a lot of this stuff inside out. So how do, how do you deal with that? Like, I mean, I, I'm sure it comes with experience, like you're, you're learning as you go, because you can't just sit down and take an anatomy course. It's like you kind of have to just find resources to learn this stuff. Can you touch on like those challenges? Certainly. Well, I think a, a lot of it is just asking questions and again, knowing when and where to, to say something or not. But a lot of times, and as you inferred it, Early on, I, I had a physician tell me, you know, I needed, he wanted me to know my product, know its compatibility, what it can and can't do. And then it was on that, on him to know the procedure and, and, uh, and you know, how to go about with the patient. But it was on me to, to know every detail in and out, like you described, of the product, how it's used, how it can and can't be used. And then really important would be compatibility. And I, I think you touched upon it from the authenticity side knowing your product, but then also knowing competitor product. So I, I'd like to pride myself on really investigating and looking into the competitor product, knowing them just as well as your own product. And I know uh, there was one instance where, you know, I gained a lot of respect from a customer and a physician by not only recommending a competitor product because it was more appropriate at the time, but knowing how to describe they should use it. And almost, you know, as if it was my own product and so their reaction was impressive. And, and obviously, I think I gained a lot of respect from that interaction. And so, yeah, I think it's just really knowing what the customer is looking for you to provide, as you indicated, you know, what a lot of things you looked towards for me and just working to accomplish that. So I think knowing your product, knowing its compatibility, the specs inside and out, the limitations to products, and then knowing your competitors just as well as your own product. And not in an aggressive or a competitive way, but what's best for the patient, what's best for the customer at that point in time. Yeah. It reminds me of the three A's when it comes to, you know, building a, a practice, you know, of being available, affable, and able. I imagine you guys probably have something similar in the sales world. One of the other challenges I, I see like being a salesperson is just always being available. And, you know, DFW is a big area, right? You guys are driving all over the place. How do you overcome that challenge where you have multiple cases in a week and you got to try and you know get to all these docs and help them? Yeah, no, I, it's a great point. And I'd say similar to building a good practice, those are, are great uh, aspects to, to build into. And um, to your point, being available is very important. I would always want a customer to know that you know I'm there for them, but I'm not sitting around waiting for their call. To your point, especially if you're in a large Metroplex, You've got multiple call points, likely multiple procedures to accommodate. And so there it's really getting on scheduling and oftentimes having counterparts, coworkers that you can rely on. And that's where it actually gets into the competitive aspect. Being a friendly competitor really pays off. Not that they're going to go in and support your products or your procedures, but that's a lot of times where you get that intel or you know that they're going to be there and things will, will be handled. So I guess an answer to your question, obviously, Always want to be available for the customer, but definitely not set that precedent that you're just sitting around waiting for their call. You know, you've got other customers and, and other aspects to get to for the business. Yeah, I, I, you know, I have seen where it really helps to be collaborative and not competitive, especially now patient world amongst, you know, device companies in particular, where like, like you said, it pays off to work well together and not just be fighting over which core are they going to use next, you know? Because like you said, if you know about their product and you just happen to be there that day, it could be immensely helpful for the physician 
and for both of y'all's business too, right? Because if the physician screws up putting that Terumo coil in and you actually save the day by like helping them not screw it up, then I, I think that that goes a long way. And, and so I like that. And, you know, I've seen it in action on both accounts. And um, I totally agree with you that uh, being collaborative is, and docs recognize that too. It's actually really remarkable when you know a lot about somebody else's product. Yeah, you brought up Affable as well, right? So that's a likable, interactive person. And I think everybody, the physicians, the techs, the nurses, they can tell when they don't want a, an uncomfortable situation, right? And so aggressive sales reps or those that aren't really uh, acknowledging their competitor in the room or acknowledging that their competitor has business at that account, you know, that's not really something that everyone wants in the room. They would just kind of diffuse or avoid that type of situation. So I think to your three A's, being affable and just an interactive, likable person, you know, goes a long way just that they want you there and getting along with your competitors, uh, interacting with them and helping them out. You know, I think a lot of, a lot more eyes are on that and see that than people realize. Yeah, for sure. Well, before we wrap up, I would do want to talk about how things have been post COVID because we all know that, uh, it was extremely disruptive for you guys, especially because you haven't been able to get in the hospital, get in front of docs. Talk a little bit about those challenges and how the Cook sales team has overcome those challenges. Certainly. And I'd say a lot of that depended on the location and the setting. You know, different states had more regulations compared to others. I think in Texas, it was a little bit easier than, say, in the Northeast or out on the West Coast. But it's definitely uh, hindered maybe the drop by, not that people are stopping by customers without appointments, but it really moved things towards a, a needs based call points. So case support still carried on and, and is kind of more important than ever, where those kind of just drop bys or checking in on customers have really been hindered, and especially just from a hospital administrative side. So in some ways, obviously, it's hindered things and, and reduced the interactions. But I think it's also moved things towards if you are there for case support, you have been called and requested in by a physician or that customer, then it's a little bit easier because there aren't as many people trying to get in those doors. They've, they've really locked them out a little bit more. And so I think that case support is really the direction that things have going. And then from a company standpoint, moving to other areas uh, of communication and interaction that are not face-to-face. -face. So podcasts, different types of marketings, uh, really emphasizing on the society meetings and just different avenues. And I think things like podcasts, like what you've got going with Backtable, are great uh, opportunities, but it also shows the direction that everything's moving before. And then especially COVID has accelerated that of just kind of digital media, less face-to-face. -face. And, you know, that's oftentimes how physicians and customers are being made aware of new products now, rather than necessarily a sales rep stopping by and they have their new toy. Oftentimes you need to get called in by that physician or by that customer now. Yeah. It's funny because I didn't realize how many sales people were, were listening to the show. I, I ran into Grant Ritter, one of your colleagues uh, here in Dallas, and uh, he was like, oh, he was telling me something about one of, a recent episode he really liked. I was like, oh, really? You listen? He's like, yeah, man, I subscribe. Like, I try to listen regularly. I was like, that's so cool. And it made me think, well, do you guys ever, like, if you find something informative do you share that with your docs? You know, like if, for example, if you know that I'm trying to build 
a very concealed practice and you know we just you know let's say we just had somebody on to talk what might come in to talk about his very concealed practice and new techniques do you guys ever share stuff digital content like this via text with your docs in those cases uh yeah it does happen there are some regulations on being able to share some stuff like that so actually yeah we have to follow the rules for that there's some regulation for example just a, a specific example i can't send you an article from JVIR. I would need to direct you, you know, to seek that out on your own. Interesting. I didn't, what, what's behind that? Uh, it's just regulations and, and different companies' interpretation of different rules and regulations on that. That's ever since the Sunshine Act, actually. Uh, and so that scene could be perceived as transfer of value. So if, you know, for example, a company paid for the subscription or access to that JVIR article, and then we're sending that out, we, that we cannot do oh, that. Oh, okay. But it, what if it was just the link to the URL? Because most people, you know, are going to have a subscription. I, I see what you're saying. So you can't send the actual article to them, but you could send a link to the URL that they could access on their own. That gets into the interpretation of the rules and, and depending <laughs> on who you're talking to. So I, I would say if in usual, yes, sharing of, of information, links, everything like that, it definitely does occur. And I would admit, yes, uh, I think you've got a great sales field following international as well. I can tell you that we get a lot of people from Europe commenting uh, when they discover Backtable or or we've shared that with them. So, but yeah, I'd say uh, from an internal perspective, it's definitely shared around. And in your example, if you know a physician is interested in something, building a varicocele practice, anything like that, you know, referring them to that information or it's a conversation piece, right? If I do have five minutes of your time, what are we going to talk about? Okay, we'll talk about how Ohio State, you know, and, and some of the f college football aspects, but then we kind of, I need to turn that conversation back to business. And so I need to have a lot of these types of examples and information to share, really to keep your time, keep your interest, but then also show that I'm invested in your success as well. And so that's where I think yeah, sh sharing those and, and staying on top of that. So Again, just another aspect of being a successful rep is doing that research and creating that knowledge base. And I think Backtable is a great example. Sales reps of old had to read the JVIRs when they came out. They had to, you know, search through journal articles where now, you know, things and have made things easier uh, as far as, you know, search databases and access, yes, as well as then things like a podcast where as the, someone's in their car, they can listen to this and it's fresh in their mind. And for that example, if you had a Varicocele podcast, Grant listened to it on his way to a customer here in Dallas, then now he has something to talk to them about. It's fresh in his mind. Uh, he's learned a little bit and then he can relate them back to that if they're not aware. Yeah, I know. Because we forget about how much time spent in the car with you guys that it is nice to have that audio content, you know, readily available too on your phone. I mean, even just five years ago, we didn't, nobody listened to podcasts, I think. I mean, there were some out there, but not, not what's available now in terms of education and entertainment. I mean, I was just listening to Howard Stern or whatever was on the radio, but now I can't get enough of it. There's so much good stuff out there. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'd have to admit, you know, I, I covered uh, North and East Texas. So actually one of my favorite, other than when I would happen to call upon you, was actually going out to East Texas just with that two-hour drive. And to listen in on things uh, as well as we call it dashboard time or windshield time. And, and so it, you can kind of zone out, but also start thinking about 
you're not uh, focused on what exactly you're doing or where you're about to go, you're able to think a little bit bigger picture. And I think those types of situations, if you're listening to a Backtable podcast, that's just a great opportunity and example to expand your knowledge and awareness of different areas. And then that's just better equipping you to accommodate your customers and have those conversation pieces like we were talking about. Yeah. Do you guys, uh, with that whole conversation piece thing, do you guys keep your own little kind of Rolodex of like people's interests? And I mean, I imagine that's important information. It's hard to keep in your brain, right? I, I would have a hard time with it. Uh, is that something that you guys do as little like tricks to like make sure that you're staying connected with people? Certainly. Uh, and things have moved, you know, from paper and, and documenting that in that fashion to electronics. And I wouldn't be surprised. I know most medical device companies have utilized what we call CRMs. Salesforce, for example, is a very popular one. So that's now, you know, you're taking notes as well as kind of documenting what what was done, what was said, and what the next action item may be. So I think historically, yes, you would jot down notes. You would, you know, kind of keep little uh, tidbits on what people liked, what they didn't like, even names, right? So you you meet 20 people in a day, how are you going to remember all their names? So you need to document that in some form or fashion. But a lot of ways, whether they're using the Notes app on their phone or a lot of times using a CRM type of uh, application, now we're capturing it in that fashion. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I learned with trying to build a practice in the outpatient setting is it's not just about getting in front of the dock. And for example, in an office, there's always a gatekeeper, right? And it's either the receptionist or the the manager of the office, the office manager. There's somebody who you're going to have to kind of butter up to get in front of that dock. So I got a little bit, I got a little taste of that when I was out there. And uh, so I imagine that's vital information that you'd need to record and keep track of as well, right? Oh yeah. That's who you need to call first and foremost, right? And, and as you said, some physicians will actually, you know, they have a gatekeeper and they know it and that's, that's who's regulating who's coming in and out. And so they're just as important, if not more important, to, to create a relationship and rapport with than the physician. And so, yeah, definitely taking notes, knowing what their likes and dislikes are. And I just always kind of had this mentality that everyone was a gatekeeper. Everyone's, you know, kind of evaluating you at all times and not to stress out about that, but, you know, just to make sure you're always on point with things. Because, you know, one person could be become very detrimental to your access and, and your overall success with that customer. Yeah. Treat everybody with respect. Exactly. Right. Make sure you bought enough donuts for everybody. <laughs> for that in-service. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, and you hit on one thing. So I was going to say, you know, it was the gatekeepers, right? So it's identifying who they are. And, and just to reiterate that the gatekeepers can be different from day to day. They'll change and evolve. And that's where obviously you just don't want to burn bridges or create a negative impression with anyone or, or as least people as you can, just because you don't know who you may be working with in the future, who may be promoted and, and become a gatekeeper, uh, as well as I think physicians really listen to their staff. And so, you know, we could be best friends, but you know, if, if you're tech and I just don't see eye to eye or, you know, they just don't enjoy having me around then our relationship isn't as important anymore. Or if, if I am in there, you know, there's kind of some tension in the room. So just treating everybody with respect, treating everyone just as they're as important as the physician. Yeah, I think that's solid advice. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Aaron. I, I really, uh, you know, like the fact that you came on. I'm glad we made this happen. 
I appreciate everybody in, in industry that listens to the show. And um, I think the goal is is medical education across the board. And I think that it's just nice to hear that uh, people find value outside of just the physicians themselves, nurses, techs, sales teams, marketing. But uh, anything else before we finish up? No, like I said, I, I appreciate it. I, I like the success and, and the educational value that Backtable brings. And I, I think you really touched upon that. Whether it's on the ride to an account, anything like that, you're advancing uh, the, the medical field overall. So, you know, really creating awareness and, and education, not only for the physicians that you're targeting, but as you said, really updating and, and keeping people up to speed on the Salesforce side as well. So, uh, and it's always good to hear what is interest of the physicians, uh, especially those that you have come on. I appreciate and like that you do kind of the history of things as well, uh, like with some of your Western Angio podcasts. And I, I would just note one thing kind of back on being successful and, and interacting with people. As large as this industry may be, it ends up being pretty small, obviously. And so, you know, it's all about the network. And it's not maybe what always people think of the word network. You know, I think it's it's just a smaller network than people realize. And so being that friendly, outgoing person, helping out your competition, and just always being that helpful person, as I think you described my me being in the beginning, will really get you far. And then people notice that, and you just really create that great reputation and great brand for yourself. And I think to really, at the end of the day, to make a successful sales, successful sales rep, you need a good company, a good product. And then you complete that third aspect by being a good person and a good brand on yourself. All right. Well, thank you to our audience uh, for listening. And if there's any techs or nurses or anybody who's looking to become a sales rep or maybe even wants to work for Cook, can they contact you, Aaron? Uh, just actually uh, prefer them just go through our, our uh, online access. So uh, we need to involve human resources, uh, but I'm definitely on LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out and interact with me on LinkedIn. And we've always got opportunities as, as all companies do, but yeah, a lot of that's turned to a formal process. So, uh, any openings we need to do, we could direct you and, and love to give any insight, answer any questions, uh, as my coworkers would as well, but just to, to do, have a, an open application process, we would, uh, need to direct them to, to the human resources side of things and, uh, submit electronically. Yeah. Understandable. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much, everybody. Hey, thanks for having me. And it's great to see you. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, Brian Hartley. Our audio team lead is Karen Gannon with support from Caleb Hodson and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz with support from Zubi Syed. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson and Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Anne Dang and newsletter by Lauren Fang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.